Mom deserves the best, and there's no better place to shop for Mother's Day than Whole Foods Market. They're your destination for unbeatable savings, from premium gifts to show-stopping flowers and irresistible desserts. Start by saving 33% with Prime on all body care and candles. Then get a 15-stem bunch of tulips for just $9.99 each with Prime. Round out Mom's menu with festive rosé, irresistible berry chantilly cake, and more special treats. Come celebrate Mother's Day at Whole Foods Market. Hey, I'm Ryan Reynolds. At Mint Mobile, we like to do the opposite of what Big Wireless does. They charge you a lot, we charge you a little. So naturally, when they announced they'd be raising their prices due to inflation, we decided to deflate our prices due to not hating you. That's right. We're cutting the price of Mint Unlimited from $30 a month to just $15 a month. Give it a try at mintmobile.com slash switch. $45 up front for three months plus taxes and fees. Promote for new customers for limited time. Unlimited more than 40 gigabytes per month slows. Full terms at mintmobile.com. Graham. Welcome to a classic big interview. Today, join me. We're going back to season 2015-2016. This is what I had to say about it back then. I knew exactly how much I was going to like Michael O'Neill, the Northern Ireland manager, um, when I found out that he'd bought tickets for him and his family to sit behind the goal at the Barca Atletico Madrid Champions League quarterfinal first leg. That's proper football fandom that is my impression was confirmed uh, when we began to talk and we shared memories of sports nights sitting up late praying for there to be football on and the groan when the horse jumping came on from Wembley except for the puissance I love the puissance Michael sat there in Edinburgh having happily rescheduled the interview because I'd been <clears throat> somewhat delayed by an aeroplane and we talked about everything I was in 1982's World Cup in Spain and remember how the country, as far as we could see from people around us, the radio, the television, the papers, came to a standstill when Northern Ireland beat Spain at the Mestalla. Michael was at home and remembered that for a blip in the midst of the troubles, there seemed to be more unity, more peace, more community spirit than normal. 82 and 86 were the last times that Northern Ireland had played in a major tournament until Michael took over. Listen to him talking about man management, inspiration. Listen to him saying that Kyle Lafferty could have a major, major tournament this summer. Could even be top scorer, for example. It's in Michael's idea that he could be the breakthrough player like a Toto Scalacci. Maybe he's right, maybe he's wrong. But look at what he's done to that squad. Look at his psychology of sport. Listen to him explaining it. This is a bright, clever, football smart man. As passionate about the game as you and I well worth your time you'll never beat those Irish either listen on we're rolling okay on the big interview <laughs> a big interview which um, has started somewhat late but I've already embarrassed myself in front of our guest so I'm not going to tell you why it started late although it was wholly my fault but the journey's been worthwhile because we're with a man who's made people fall in love with the magic of football again. He's taken his national team and rebuilt them, and Michael O'Neill, Northern Islander, are going to the European Championships. As a proud Northern Islander, before we talk about football, before we think about your professional achievements, what a fantastic boast to be able to say, <laughs> I've taken my team 
Bacha tournament for the first time since 1986. There must be occasional mornings in between duties where you wake up and go, hi, but not, not, not bad there. <laughs> yeah, you're, there is moments like that, certainly there is. And, you know, you're doing the school run or you're doing something as international managers have a bit more time in their hands than, than club managers. And so, no, there is, there's time to reflect on it. And, and at times it is, you know, I do think, how did we do it? How did we manage it? Uh, where did we, you know, where we had to come from to, to do it as well. And uh, there's a lot of there's a lot of pleasure in that, obviously. And uh, but it, you know the uh, the thing for me is that you know was always wanting to try to change it. You know there was an acceptance probably within Northern Ireland, within the country, within the supporters, within just in general. Well, we're never really going to go to major finals again. Um, we had our time in '82, '86, '58 was obviously it, it seems like a lifetime ago. So it's nice because you know anyone under forty who's a Northern Ireland fan probably has virtually very little recollection of 82 and 86 yeah. given the time frame that's passed so uh, the fact that now for not only is it going to be our first tournament for all of our players our coaches and myself everyone associated but also for a big portion of our fans it's going to be their, their, their first tournament as well but you participated in that feeling that certainly mm. helped guide me into a lifetime of loving football and our last interviews with Joe Jordan and talking to Joe it took me back to 1973 beating when Scotland beat Czechoslovakia and I was shocked to rediscover the, the passion that it unleashed in me and remembering that night because not unlike the fans you've been describing as a, as a Scotland supporter I've grown used to not expecting us to qualify and, and really appreciating even the small positive changes that you can see under Gordon Strachan but in 1982, a tournament that I went to as a fan was Fallen Scotland, which was a bit of an epiphany for me, particularly about living in Spain. Northern Ireland were there and did really spectacularly well in mm-hmm. terms of how they played the quality of football as you had the, mm-hmm. in that 11 or even in the 13-14 that Billy Bingham could pick spectacular as well. Where were you? What were mm-hmm. you doing? What do you remember of it? Because I suppose you were enjoying that joy of we're there, it's Spain, it's the World Cup and boys in green are, are going to be playing. What was it like? It was amazing, actually, because when I look back at the... You know, I was 11, I think, 11 or 12. Yeah, and I remember the games. And I always relate it to, like, international football. It was so special because there wasn't the same level of football on the television, obviously. You know, I, I grew up as a Liverpool fan, so I got to see Liverpool predominantly. You would get the, the highlights on match of the day... If you were lucky, you would get, you know, a European match. I used to remember on a Wednesday, for example, I was allowed to stay up late on a Wednesday to watch sports night and the hope that there'd be a European game. And sometimes you got, like, Greyhound race, now you've got <laughs> show jumping, Puissons, I always remember that. And the disappointment. The Puissons? Yeah. Oh, the, 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 right back now. The disappointment <laughs> and that. It was, it was actually a hammer blow to recover from that and, and get up for school the next day. But, yeah, those, it was magical to watch football in those situations because you know my dad we weren't really in a position as a family to go across and watch Liverpool or do anything I never saw Liverpool play uh, live as a kid or anything like that there now you know kids there's there's easy jet there's you know everyone can get anywhere very very accessible and it's a lot more affordable from that point of view sometimes the football, getting into the grounds maybe not as affordable but getting there is and um, so I think that you know it was a magical thing when the World Cup you know, the fact that Northern Ireland were in it. The first World Cup I had recollection of, you talk obviously of, of, of 74 and was 78. You know, I remember being allowed to stay up late and watch the games from Argentina. 
uh, the fantastic Dutch team, the Argentine team, the Brazilian team. You know, it was, it was ph- phenomenal just to see that. And again, it just I was totally engrossed with international football and football at that point in time. So when the next World Cup comes around four years later and suddenly Northern Ireland are taking part in it's it, extraordinary. it's an extraordinary feeling as a kid to, mm-hmm. to experience that. And, you know, I, you know, the games, the atmosphere, just the whole thing, the fact that Northern Ireland were there and... Uh, you know, it was, it was amazing to watch right through, to watch all the games, as you say, the quality of the play, to just the build-up. I remember the squad being announced and, you know, Norman Whiteside was in the squad and this young Manchester United player. And Aged, what, 17, 16, 17 Norman, Yeah, I think Norman was about 16 maybe when he was... Yeah, I think it was... I think he was under 17 when he played. I'm nearly sure. He, he maybe was just over, but it was it, like to see him play, I think, at the time... Well, he's only five or six years older than me, you know, mm-hmm. and as a kid, you dream of playing. You know, you think, I want to play in the World Cup, I want to play for Northern Ireland, and, uh, you know, here's a lad that five years older than you is suddenly doing that, and, and on the biggest stage of them all, it was staggering, like, and, uh, you know, those, that team, you know, I, I just remember it so well, the quality of their play, as you say, the iconic images have never gone away, and as I say, we've got a chance now, hopefully, to create some new ones. What was it like at home? I mean, did everything come to a stop? Was it noisy? I, I asked that because having followed Scotland, Scotland got knocked out poorly. I'm sorry to mention Alan Hansen's fault for bumping into Willie Miller. But <laughs> we then went on, and, and Spain played Northern Ireland, and the whole of Spain was my first time there. Everyone just expected to trounce them yeah. at the Mestalla. And Northern Ireland beat them, beat them well, and beat them with 10 men. Yeah, I think it's funny, like, when, when, when you look back, particularly at that game, that's always the, the iconic game of the tournament, but I remember watching the game and, and, and you know, Jerry scoring and putting us ahead, and we, we were kind of, I think the build-up into the game was very much like, you know, the lads have done great, but they're going to be coming home, you know, we've got how they played on the night, and it was great at the time because Northern Ireland, obviously, at that time, in the 80, 82 you know, it had a lot of issues, it had a lot of problems, mm-hmm. well documented. Obviously, the troubles were, you know, at the height of things, if, if you could put it like that. But it seemed as if everything just stopped, as you say, and, and the whole focus of the country was on, on Northern Ireland, on Northern Ireland playing. It didn't matter, religion didn't matter, nothing seemed to matter at that point in time, other than the fact that Northern Ireland were playing Spain in the World Cup. And it was just a magical, a magical game. You know, I remember, you know, I subsequently went to play. I played with quite a number of that 82 team who were still playing when I, you know, I, I came into the squad in 88. So there was a number still playing. You know, I look back and, you know, John McClell, Mal Donachie, Dee McCreary, still playing Norman, obviously, as well. You know, maybe five, six people in the squad that were maybe on the bench as well that, that were still playing when I came in. And, uh, you know, that game sticks out in the memory because, as you're right, you know, when Mal gets sent off, I remember just sitting as a kid in front of the TV, like, just barely able to watch. You know, can we hang on? Can we win the game? You know, Pat and Gold, like, just performing miracles and uh, some of the most unorthodox saves ever, I think, from a goalkeeper as well. But it is, it's, 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 it's a special time. And the fact is, is that when you don't go to a tournament, the way Northern Ireland haven't done. You know, 82, if you think about it, was, it was 24 years since 58. So it's almost like a similar scenario to what we face now or what, what we're in now. And uh, when you have that, the legacy of the tournament lasts so long. That picture of Jerry Armstrong goal, I, I was in the, the press room in the new National Stadium in, in Belfast. And, you know, it's on the wall, Jerry, head down, knee over the ball. And, you know, 
it, it'll never, it'll be there 50 years from now, I think. And, and that's hopefully, as I say, you know, the special moments that we hope to create in this, in this campaign. You've got a really, you've got a special football man in your staff right now, in Jimmy, Jimmy yeah. Nick. Mm-hmm. Now, Jimmy played there and mm-hmm. presumably had to work hard because of Mal, harder because of Mal's um, red card. When you look back as a fan, as a tournament that you weren't at, do you ask him for the, like I'm doing now, for the great old stories? Yeah. Could you, can you draw on his experience of what it was like to be a player abroad in a hot country, in an unusual situation, in a group where you're all, you all share a passport, but you don't all share a club, so mm-hmm. you may or may not get on. There may be relationships to build, or there's boredom to fight. Can you, one, does he tell you the old stories? Two, can you draw as an experience about how to manage this summer or elements of how to manage this summer as a group? Yeah, definitely. I think Jimmy, I, I brought Jimmy in halfway through the campaign. Billy McKinley had initially been with me and Billy had, had left to take the Watford job and subsequently was offered the Watford job at a very short space of time and it was taken away from him a very short space of time as well. And I had uh, Stephen Robinson, who's still with me, and Jim Magilton, who's part of our, our coaches back in Northern Ireland, covered two or three games that the the Pharaohs, the Greece game and the Romania game and I felt then we had a break from November to March and I, I'd thought about it along what will I do and how will I go about this and you know I sat with Jimmy and he'd been in the situation actually because when I was a player Billy Bingham had brought uh, Jimmy in as an assistant while Jimmy was still he, he was basically uh, the manager he was player manager at Wraith Rovers he at was, the time yeah. I think yeah successfully too. yeah very successfully and uh, I think um I saw how he was as an assistant manager then. I, I, good, I always, like as players, we, we kind of hoped that Jimmy was the next manager. Mm-hmm. And it didn't turn out like that, you know, and, and that, that's the nature of football. And I just felt I needed someone that, if they came in, we were at such a critical time in the group, wouldn't f- feel the need to overprove themselves, yeah. wouldn't be equally, you know, too quiet or anything, that it would be a seamless transition. And there was no one better than Jimmy actually has proven to be the right thing to do you know you never know when you make these decisions but Jimmy comes in he's great with the players he's just a great person to have around the players the players really respect they love him he has a million stories you know what I mean he can tell a million stories not only relating to his time with Northern Ireland but throughout the game as you know he's played in a great club career as well obviously as well and um He's just good. You know, people always say to me, like, you know, he doesn't take that much of the training. Now, we, we divide, but he's, he's invaluable to me just from the point of view I'll talk things through him and say, what do you think about that? And he say, well, I'm not sure what you have thought about that. And he, he always gives me, he throws something back at me, which I think is very important. He'll go, well, yeah, that's okay, but have you thought about this situation or have you thought about that? And that's invaluable to me because the other, like Stephen Robinson's a very good coach, but he doesn't have that experience in the dugout that Jimmy has. And Jimmy has... Listen, I, I wouldn't even hazard a guess at how many games he's been in the dugout for. And even, in, you know, there's been times in, in, in the campaign where maybe you think, I, I might change it, and Jimmy, just leave it a little bit longer, leave it a wee bit longer. And So that, that type of thing is invaluable, because you need another set of eyes who's watched so many games, but not just watch games, but watch games where he's had to have to make decisions on this too. It's a different thing to watch a game and take the information in on the pitch and then have to make a decision on it as opposed to just watching the game and Jimmy has that you know he has you know that experience in abundance but he'll be invaluable to us because I think he's a great man my biggest fear in this tournament going forward is as a group we've never been together 
for this length of time. The thing, the fact of being in France and everything, I think is is less of an issue because the players are so well travelled now with their clubs. If you go back to eighty two and eighty six, it probably wasn't the case as much. Now they're so well travelled that the fact of being abroad or anything that won't be the issue. But the key is we we have never been together as a squad for this length of time. Never, you know, we've not. So typically, a, a double header for us is nine, ten days max. Now we're going to be together for a minimum of about 35 days with one or two days off in between, you know, where we've tried to give them little breaks leading into the tournament. And that's the challenge. And I think that Jimmy will really be worth his weight in gold in that situation. Well, one of the things we try to do, Michael, in the big interviews is attempt to explain to people the machinations, the workings of that situation. Mm -hmm. Uh, I think I might understand, but I've never been in either yours or Jimmy's position before. Just explain why it might be a challenge to have a group of talented professionals together at a tournament for a long space of time. What are the list of things that you're looking to um, diminish or watch out for or take advantage of? Well, I think the biggest thing for us in terms of our success today and, and I think continuing to be successful is... You know, spirit is massive for us. You know, we, we won't have the best squad of players at the tournament. The players know that. They've openly said that themselves. But what we have and what has got us to this point is we've built a really strong spirit within the group. When you're picking players from different levels of football, which we do, you know, at times there's a massive gulf in terms of players' earnings and yeah. all of that kind of thing, which I always think is testament to you want to put about our big hitters for for want of a better word is because they are so humble you know that they're, they're very good you know i won't put words in your mouth but i would i would suggest johnny would probably be johnny evans would given where he's been the responsibility in his shoulders he'd be right up there in that group you're talking about the yeah. big hitters the big earners johnny davis you know brump mccauley the players that have played consistently you know in the premier league you know they come in our group they mix with there's no no differential between them. You know, they're good pals. You see the likes of you know, Josh McGuinness, for example, who's playing here in the SPL. We know that money in the SPL is not, a, a, you know, it, it, it's not abundant at this minute in time. You know, he's a big part of our group and he, he mixes well. And, you know, the, you see it in, in terms of how they are about the hotel, what they do as a group, what they do when they do things together. There's no, uh, you know, differential in terms of any types of clique in our group. And I was surprised. It was, it was actually... Craig Cathcart rooms with Shane Ferguson. And they're two polar opposites in terms of, you know, Craig's, first of all, they're both different religions, which isn't, isn't an issue. But, you know, they come from... There totally, might have been a yeah. time when it might have been. They're totally, to, their backgrounds are totally different, I, I would say, come from. And yet, him and Fergie would have been the most unlikely room combination that I, that I would have thought. And yet, you know, they got on great. They got on like a house on fire. And those are the things that I think, in this squad, I've seen better than in the early days... Not that it was bad in the early days, but it never got to the level that it's got to now. When you get like 22, 23 lads, they actually seem to enjoy each other's company. It's unusual, to be honest, because, you know, in that number, there's generally always one or two, you know, will be a little bit more isolated, a little bit more insular. But we don't seem to have that in this group. Do you think about your room pairings and, and, and who should work with whom just to build a bit of a bond or... Yeah, I think it's important. It is important. And it's funny, we, we give the more senior players the option to room on their own if they want. 
and it's funny that you know they, if they want a room on their own and the likes of Stephen Davis and Chris Baird don't take that option they prefer to room together Johnny and Corey room together so it's still like it's almost probably as if they're back in the house when they were you kids automatically when you see that it's a brilliant litmus test isn't it yeah you automatically know that something's good there yeah totally yeah, yeah. And, and you see it when the nice feeling in the group when they're at dinner we, we normally have the hotel set up for them where they'll eat obviously and together but we have a you know, a games room right next to it or as part of the... And, and they, they're not in a hurry to get away. All of those kind of things that I, I, I think are nice and, and uh, it's encouraging. And, and I think that we can look forward to the summer if you're going to spend that much time together. You know, as, as I said to the players, and I says, listen, it's not my job as the manager to amuse you, you know. <laughs> Maybe Jimmy's. But it'll not be my job. You know, like, so, you know, I'm... I'm constantly was speaking to Stephen. Listen, you have to make sure that you know we don't let that become a factor in this. We, we, that the time we spend together, that this is a memorable experience. Because you hear fantastic, yeah. You, you hear you hear ex- players coming away. Oh, it was the worst. I yes. couldn't wait to get home. Yeah. You know, I couldn't. I don't want it to be like that. I want every player that comes away to say it was fabulous to be a part of that tournament. You know, I felt so involved. It was a great experience for me. I only got 10 minutes on the pitch, or I didn't get any minutes on the pitch. But it's something that they'll bring with them for the rest of their career. And, and as I said, like, you know, I've said since qualification, the tournament should be the next phase of us. Like, we want to come here again. We don't want to be 30 years, a generation. You know, we, we want this to be the first step of a continued challenge to qualify, which we haven't done enough. I've got very little to input to somebody who's proved to be a fantastic man manager, group manager, philosopher and, and psychologist. But when you give the keys to the room out on the first day in France in the hotel, be very careful that one of the players doesn't necessarily get the biggest room. And that's not because of egos. But in 2008, when Spain, the eventual winners, got to their hotel, for some fluke, Juan Captavilla, the Villarreal left-back, who'd play all the way through that tournament and the next tournament in Superb and underrated, got a very big room and it became the social centre and it was very happy until at night when he was left on his own and he thought it was a ghost. And he couldn't <laughs> sleep in it until he called Santi Cazorla to move back in with him. <laughs> and he was taunted the whole tournament with this ghost. He, he was absolutely convinced that there was a ghost in his room. So I don't, I'm not actually advocating exorcisms. Right. <laughs> but just be careful who gets the big, sort of spooky, scary room. Yeah, just okay. to, that's the only thing I've got to input on that. <laughs> that idea about um, if they approach it and have it as a memorable experience, you reckon that, one, that would augment the existing team spirit and be, people would be pulling for each other and working hard and training, even if... Because you've spoken really well about knowing that certain players in a 22-23 man group probably aren't going to get game time yeah. but it's imperative then every working day every working session they're pushing the players who are going to play mm. so therefore there's, there needs to be a sort of unity and nobody on the, on the training pitch in France is saying well you know I'm just in, a, in an hour I'm going to be on the beach or out in the lounge just catching a tan because there's nothing else for me they want yeah. to push yeah. your starting guys into top form yeah I think so it, it's, it's very important you know we do a lot of tactical work we've become a good team without the ball that was always on pro. You know, we had to become a good team without the ball. We have to recognise that, you know, if we go and play against teams with, with better players, bigger nations, that we may not have as much of the ball as what we would like. When you do that type of work and training, it's not always the most enjoyable type of work. It's difficult work for players at times, and and you have to get a. You have to make sure that the length of time that you do it for is nailed down because I think if you overdo it, 
you lose the message. So, and the repetition of it is very important as well. So repeating it, you know, without them going, oh, we're doing this again, that type of thing. But it only works if the players as a group buy into it. That's what we've had. And to be fair, Stephen Davis, after we qualified in Finland, or well, we qualified after we, we got the point in, in, in game 10 in Finland, you know, I'd said to Stephen, maybe you should say something after the game. I just said, listen, maybe you should say something. So the president had come in, Jim Shaw had come in and spoke to the players, a magnificent achievement, first time Northern have ever won a qualification group. And then Stephen spoke, and he thanked the players who hadn't played so much. Yeah, brilliant, yeah. And it was more powerful coming from him than me. Do you know what I mean? It's far more powerful, and you know that because he acknowledged the fact that it doesn't work. You know, when we do tactical stuff, when we do ten v ten, when we try and do this, it does not work unless they embrace it. Yeah. And sometimes it's difficult that work because you're going to lads and you're asking them to do something. You play them out of position, for example. I mean, Josh is a great example, Josh McGinnis, because there was one game where I said, Josh, I'm going to need you to play centre half and the other team, and he just went, "That's no problem." Brilliant. You know, he, he did, as opposed to thinking, well. I'm not going to get in the team at centre half, so you know what's the point of me doing this and that thing. You know the sacrifice he was prepared. Listen, as long as it adds value to the group, that type of thing is what will. When we go away, for that length of time, that thirty odd days that I'm talking about, that type of sacrifice will be so critical for us. It'll give us a chance in the games. deserves the best and there's no better place to shop for Mother's Day than Whole Foods Market. They're your destination for unbeatable savings. From premium gifts to show-stopping flowers and irresistible desserts. Start by saving 33% with Prime on all body care and candles. Then get a 15-stem bunch of tulips for just $9.99 each with Prime. Round out mom's menu with festive rosé, irresistible berry chantilly cake, and more special treats. Come celebrate Mother's Day at Whole Foods Market. You know, I mean, I'm amongst the things that stand out about you, and there are many. It's remarkable listening to you for the second time in a short mm. space of time. I'm in already. You've got, you've got my complete mm. conviction, and if I were one of your players, then I'd be ears pricked back. Genuinely speak as if you've been at two or three long tournaments yourself as a player. <laughs> you know, <laughs> how the hell? Because you also, as successful as you are right now, you are making a step into, if not the unknown... Something that you don't have first-hand experience of, mm-hmm. but I've watched international managers during my journalistic career mm-hmm. not have that much savvy or know-how going into a tournament. I, th- I think the biggest thing is preparation. And what I mean by that is that, that sounds a really obvious statement, but what I mean by that is that the players see the level of preparation that you've gone to because then they actually... I think there's an element of respect from that. A good example of that, when we, we went to South America on a tour before the, at the start of this, this campaign. It was just before the 2014 World Cup. It was a tour that had been offered to a few countries. I don't think we were the first choice, let's just say. <laughs> and I think people were going, I don't fancy that tour. But we took it, and uh, you know, it was a game against Uruguay and Chile. You know, like anything that's a bit of negotiation with the association and difference. 
we had players that didn't want to go at that stage of the season. You know, and I was a bit disappointed with that, but I had to accept it. You know, that's the end. Of, you know, I don't have enough players where I can say, well, if you don't go, you're never going to be picked again. For example, I don't have that luxury or that, I suppose, hold over the players. And the reasons were genuine in most of the cases, so we got on with it. But the players who went came back and said it was one of the best tours they'd ever been on. I went out with just myself and David Curry, the team liaison, prior to that. And, and we did like a whirlwind four-day tour of, of South America, flying into Montevideo, making sure the hotel was right, making sure the training facility was right, flying to Chile, doing the same thing, looking at different... I left nothing to chance because I thought, if I take these guys away and this is a disaster, it's going to be such a negative going into the first game of the Euros. And I think the players saw the level of preparation that I'd gone to and responded because of that. You know, it was interesting. We had, we had six business class seats on the plane, and I got, we gave them the six most experienced players. We gave them, you know, to, to Davis, to Baird, the players who Aaron Hughes, and, and we did it on caps. And then, you know, we had some premium economy seats and some economy. Mm-hmm. And we, but we flipped it on its head for, and the boys are appreciate. We flipped it on its head for the flight from uh, Montevideo to Santiago, which was only a couple of hours. But all the staff got to sit in, in business class then, and the guys. So there was a good bond. There was something developing then. You know, we were beaten narrowly by Uruguay 1-0. Chile beat us 2-0, scored twice in the last The Chile minutes. team that would go on and knock out Spain, the, the, yeah. the holders, yeah. about four weeks later and outplay them dramatically. Yeah, and they were a phenomenal team. Like, yep. I mean, it was an education for me as a coach to go and watch Chile and how they played. And it was, it was phenomenal, like, you know, in terms of how they played and that type of football, you know, and, and how we, we had to play to try and combat that. You know, to try and play against that. But that, those things, I think, are, are, I suppose, maybe that type of preparation, getting back to your original sort of question, hopefully, as I say, the players will have, will have seen the level of preparation, not only myself, but the level of preparation from the association, from the, 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 you know, the people on the ground, the backroom, what, what they've done. And, and you know, I think that all helps. There's, that, that all helps in the mood. You know, I feel at the minute that sometimes in international football there can be distance between the people in the association and the players. Mm. I feel that now in our association that distance doesn't really exist and that's a healthy thing. Too often people come and ask you to do stuff and players go, no, I'm not doing that. We're not getting that scenario. It's very important. Yeah, we can do that. We can do that. A lot of work has gone in to make the, the players feel their achievement of qualification is recognised within the stadium. The stadium at home now is a, is, is, a, is a positive place to be for the players. Too often and too long it wasn't, it wasn't that. And uh, as I say, whilst I don't have this, the experience of being in a tournament, I think you know, what we have done will hopefully you know, stand us in good stead. One of the things I've learned talking to footballers over the years is that very nearly the most powerful medicine is when their leader, whether it's a coach or a manager, says, if you do this, if you follow me, if you follow my instructions, this will happen. Mm-hmm. And then when it does, as a leader, you then have to work quite hard to lose them because yeah. they're in. Yeah. Now, I think you, you've done that time and time again because it's, I don't want to tell your stories, but it's infamous that you said to them, look at the group you didn't qualify from, mm-hmm. take the two winning teams out. Yeah. Could you work through that group? Yes. They did what you asked. They did qualify. There are a number of examples that I'd like you to explain, but your group psychology, your ability to get into the heads of your players on a number of things, who they should and shouldn't expect to beat, getting out of the rut of defeats, which you, mm-hmm. you touched on today, discipline. Talk about these elements and how you approach them and 
the means in which you, I guess you think you thought you were right in what you were saying to them, mm. but how did you get into their heads and make them convinced at a time when it was still practical or theoretical, it was on a blackboard mm. or it was you and them talking, they weren't actually seeing the fruits of their labour yeah. yet? I had the, When I went back to the, the first campaign and it was you know, pretty nailed on that I was going to continue in the job despite that it had been a, a real challenge, you know, I, I, I was trying to find positives you know it's easy it was trying to find um i suppose messages to the players to say look this is what we're going to have to do and this is what we're going to have to do different or we will get what we got in the last campaign and there were a number of things there was i showed them the group i took away portugal and russia i showed them well look now with the, with the qualification process for the euros you now have the chance as a third place team you, we'll get a shot at it Okay, we'll at least get a playoff. So, can you win that group? And the group was Israel, Azerbaijan, Northern Ireland, Luxembourg. I says, can you win that group? And you know, yeah, of course we can win that group. I says, right. So that's our starting point. That's where we're going to start from. I said, for us to, to win that group, I said we, we're going to have to change some things within within what we do now. And in the previous campaign, we had only had two players that had played in all ten games: Stephen Davis and Roy Carroll. We hadn't had consistency of selection. Too often we were without big players, whether it was suspension, injury, you know, and, and, and our discipline record was poor. You know, I think at the time, I think we had like 24 yellow cards and three red cards, which was a high, high number. I, I point this, I said, but we hadn't committed that many fouls, actually. Only Germany and I think Spain had committed fewer fouls over the 10 games. So our perception, how we were perceived by the officials. What was that then, in your opinion? I think there was a frustration in the group of players because we were in every game and we continually came out the wrong side of the result. I looked at the games at 75, 80 minutes and I'm thinking, you know, everything was in the balance. You know, we, we never played out a game in the last 10 minutes of the game where we're like 3-0 down, the game's dead, you know, 2-0 down. The game, every game went right to the 90th minute, pretty much. And, and we ultimately came out, we lost games, we should have drawn, we, we drew games, we should have won. It was trying to let the players see that because they don't always see that, I don't think. You know, international football for a player is something that you dip into and dip out of a little bit, so you're not aware of it. I won't name names, but we, we had one player who, who's you know, a big player for us. He hadn't played in the winning Northern Ireland team for four years, but he wasn't aware of that. Didn't he? It wasn't, yeah. And another two years for some of them, I'm like, listen, do you actually recognise that? When getting back to the consistency of selection, I showed them that Portugal and Russia... Russia had won the group, Portugal were second. Like their consistency of selection was so high. They had so many players that had played 10 games. I think the Russians had something like eight players that had played 10 games. So when you think about that, Capello didn't really have to change his team. Well, just, you know, he was just tinkering with it, slipping a player in. And that. Paulo Bento with Portugal was very much the same. You know? and, uh, so I said, listen, we need to get a consistency of selection. We cannot lose players through suspension. And, and ironically, the players that we lost through suspension were like, you know, the likes of Chris Brunt, the likes of Gareth McCauley, Chris Baird. You know, they were our big players. If you've made a list of players you didn't want to lose, yeah. predominantly they'd be the ones. They'd be the ones, you know. We lost Johnny through injury in a few games, Johnny through suspension. We just couldn't do it. Kyle, suspension, injury. You know, if you look back at the last campaign, Kyle only started four games out of ten. You know, we need it. In, in, in this qualification, Kyle started nine. So that was a massive thing. That, that message to get into them was a massive thing, I think, to uh, let them see that. And, and then you have to find... I, I believed that they were closer in the last campaign than they realised. They just thought, well, we finished fifth. It was a really bad campaign. 
but I said, look, well, look, how many points do you think you could have got? I said, well, you could easily have got 15 points. And I showed them where I felt, and they were, yeah, we could have got 15 points. And then I showed them third place in 15 points would have got you third in nearly any group in the 2014 qualification for the World Cup. I said, so what you're saying to me is achievable and it's tangible that we can get a shot at it if, if we can get to that. You know, as I say, the biggest key in it all is, is momentum early in the group. And I always say, like, I've learned that over, I've only been in two campaigns. But the difference, I always remember, in the World Cup we played our first four games, we drew three and were beaten by Russia in game one. And we should have had seven points and we had three. And the mindset of the players coming into the fifth game had they come into that game with seven points, we would have beaten Israel. I'm convinced of it. Yeah. We chased the game as well. We chased the game against Israel because we needed to win it, and we lost it. We wouldn't have maybe had to do that. Yeah. You know, maybe we wouldn't have had to do it. And suddenly, you know, with every point and, and with every win, it just, it just builds that momentum all the time. It just builds that belief. Can I pick, because this is fascinating for somebody who loves the game, can I pick, first of all, a disciplinary thing? So you, you identified a trend... Mm-hmm and you asked them to correct it, mm-hmm. which they did. Mm-hmm. But let's look at it, because there's a link straight back to Mal Donaghy, because I'm not crystal clear, but I think he committed the type of tackle that you're talking about, that <clears throat> he probably shouldn't have got himself sent off that day. Yeah. And as a Scot, I can remember a dozen campaigns where like, oh, we've had a player sent off again, or booked and suspended when it wasn't necessary. And it will tend to happen to Wales and England too. Mm-hmm. Now, it's not unique to our culture, but I've always felt that we, number one are pretty bellicose mm-hmm. as, a, as a culture and pretty warrior-like. And two, one thing I'm absolutely sure about, we spoke to Damien Duff a couple of issues ago of the big interview and he talked about being absolutely at ease with the dark arts mm-hmm. because Mourinho had said to him, you have to do this, you have to do that. And he said, I'll never cheat. But the dark arts are now absolutely interwoven in being a leading professional. If you have the chance to do X or Y, you do it. Mm-hmm. Now, he's a fabulous footballer, yeah. fabulous person too, yeah. uh-huh. yet he embraces those dark... It takes us a long time to either learn to how to play a referee, how to avoid a booking. Is that the type of thing you're talking about that we don't do well? And, and what should we be doing as footballers who are maybe not elite elite? Yeah, I think it is. I think, you know, as well as, you know, for a lot of our players who come from maybe Championship League One and then they go into the international stage... It's a big jump. It's a big jump to handle in the referee as well, I think. That's and, a phrase you, that I'm talking about. Yeah, yeah. And, and how they do that. You know, if I look back at that, that first campaign, I say, we, we got the fewest number of free kicks of any team in Europe. And I'm thinking, is that because we don't have that level of possession? But when I look through the stats, you know, I think Liechtenstein had over 100 free kicks. <laughs> and they barely have the ball, for example. So it showed a, a level of maybe we just weren't, shrewd enough in how we played you know and, and in terms of gave ourselves opportunities and you know this campaign we've been hugely effective from set pieces really effective but if you don't get free kicks and you're not going to get the opportunity to, to exploit that and uh, I, you know I don't know what the exact stats are on the free kicks this year but certainly you know there were just little things that I I also think it helped like I, I sort of said that these were hard done by in the last campaign I sort of turned it to them and give them a bit of sympathy and I said well, look he's hardly got a free kick and every free kick he got was punished by the yellow card or almost like a red card so take that but we have to learn from it as well we have to change the referee's perception to us as well we have to manage the referee better and, and in this campaign you know we didn't get a suspension until game nine 
Then we got three. (laughs) 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 Which gave, or uh, until after game eight, sorry, yeah. So the turnaround was massive, you know. Now, there's no doubt that the third card helps the smaller countries as well. You know, I think that's a good thing, what what UEFA introduced, because the nature of the game now, like, for example, you know, Gareth McCauley in the previous campaign had been booked in the first and second game. So he misses the third game. You know, so you're 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 in game three, and one of your big players is missing. I think Chris Brunt was the same. Him and Gareth were both booked in the first two games. So suddenly you're in a situation where two of your Premier League players aren't, aren't available and you're only in the third game of the tournament. So the third card, I think, is certainly a bit of a... It's a godsend to the smaller nations and, and, and the smaller squads. But I think it's something that we've done, we've done well in this campaign. Maybe it's useful now to put the microscope on individual player psychology because maybe you'll tell me that I haven't got the right one but the one that stands out to me is Kyle Lafferty you know I'm sure is definitely an individually charming lad Mm -hmm. but as a person or as a footballer he's often shown rough edges Mm -hmm. in how he might celebrate or (laughs) how he might even appear irrespective of what he's actually like yeah and it looks like he's the player that you've most crafted and moulded to a different way of behaviour, different attitude, and his importance. I mean, I can only say it's Healy-esque, mm-hmm, which mm-hmm. is a big compliment. Yeah, yeah, of course. I mean, What's Kyle, happened between you? Kyle, Kyle, first of all, the, I always look at lads and go, if I was in the dressing room, would I be mates with him? Do you know what I mean? Would, it, would you? And, yeah. and Kyle is a lad you would be friends with, because he's, he's, he's a genuinely, he's a good lad. You know what I mean? Yes, he do, he's done some stupid things, but you know it's not through malice; it's through naivety. I would say more than anything else. And which of us? Yeah, but <laughs> putting my hand up. Yeah, which of us haven't? <laughs> we're all we're I all have. guilty of that. Of course we are. But I think that with Kyle, he was at a stage where I think he needed to look at his career, and maybe it took. And I remember it, we brought him on in the Portugal game at home and we'd beaten Russia and, and Martin Patterson had scored the goal and Kyle had been suspended for that game or no he'd been injured sorry he'd been injured for that game and uh, so you know I'd left him on the bench and I think he was a bit hurt that I'd left him on the bench but he came on he wanted to make an impact and he got sent off very quickly he made a challenge that in hindsight having looked back at it it was one of those challenges which looked a lot worse than it actually was you know one where someone's clearing the ball Portuguese player was clever he made it look as if Kyle had been really late he hadn't really made that much contact and with him if any contact but it was a straight red card so you know, we came in on the next morning we were playing again we were leaving to go and play in, in Luxembourg a day or so later and you know he apologised and obviously he was suspended then for the Luxembourg game and I had had his career ready for him because I felt this is going to come at some point we're going to have to address this at some point and you know, I said, look, look at your career. I said, you know, for me, you haven't played enough league games. Your discipline, it's not great. You know, there's a lot of bookings in your career. You know, there's been a lot of times in your career you've been brought off. I said, so is that tactical? Is that injury? But, you know, but I said, look at your goal return. His goal return was one and two. It was really high. And I said, so, Kyle, the perception of you has to change. How people perceive you has to change. He hadn't played poorly for me. In the, in the previous four games, and, and if anything, his work rate for the team is always unquestionable. He'll give you every ounce he's got. You know, at times, I think you know, he needs to try and curtail his, his runs and what he does. He will basically run himself to a standstill for the team. And I, I, you know, I said to him, look, you, you're going to have to change A, how you're perceived, and B, how your game is. You look to me like a player that's not totally focused all the time. So when we get you in here, we need you focused. 
And the first game he came really back in again after the suspension. And Kyle didn't go to South America, for example. And he came in for the Hungary game. We brought him back in. And, you know, day one sat him down, things and stuff. And he had other things in his life that were going on that were maybe, you know, negative for him. Or not the easiest things to deal with. And, uh, you know, I'm good. I'm, I'm fine. And, you know, I said, listen, we need a massive campaign out of you. We need 10 games out of you. And, uh, you know, the first day I felt he wasn't focused. So I brought him back in again. I said, listen, Kyle, this is what I'm talking about. He says, and he was like, you could see he was a bit, I think he was a bit hurt that I'd pulled him in. He says, you know, I, I don't have to be here. And I says, no, you don't. I says, you genuinely don't have to be here. You know, international football has a choice. I says, but we need you to be here. You need to be here for this team. And you need to be add something to this team. You need to give them something. And, you know, whether that message was in his ears or whether he took that away, he played great for us in Budapest made the equaliser, scored the winner. And he's not looked back from that. You know, it, it was what he needed. You know, and he went, he subsequently went on, scored seven goals in, in the campaign. Huge performances for us. You know, at a time when his club career wasn't, he was bouncing about a little bit. He'd been at Sion, he'd been at Palermo. He was now back at Norwich. You know, we now see a situation where he's at Birmingham. He needs a home, you know, Kyle. And if someone will give him that, he will be an effective, effective player. There's no doubt about that. You know, I, I think Kyle will look at the tournament. He will see it as an opportunity to go, I'm going to just blast this and give this everything I've got. And I think he's capable. He's one of those players that is capable of having a big tournament. Mm-hmm. Maybe more so than having like three or four great seasons together at club level. You know, he might not. And the nature of it, the intensity of it, and, and the focus that, you know, what we need is application and focus for a really short space of time 30 days. Give us that. And hopefully, as I say, I expect to get that. Very shrewd analysis. Before you even got to end the sentence, there was a light bulb going over my head going, yeah, tournament player. You qualify through the group, four goals in six games, and and suddenly Kyle Lafferty is the name on European lips everywhere, and he's Toto Scalacci or he's Oleg Salenko. It it happens again and again. I'll buy your logic completely. Serves the best, and there's no better place to shop for Mother's Day than Whole Foods Market. They're your destination for unbeatable savings, from premium gifts to show-stopping flowers and irresistible desserts. Start by saving 33% with Prime on all body care and candles. Then get a 15-stem bunch of tulips for just $9.99 each with Prime. Round out Mom's menu with festive rosé, irresistible berry chantilly cake, and more special treats. Come celebrate Mother's Day at Whole Foods Market. Planning for your next trip? Elevate your travel style with Quince. Quince has all the jet-setting essentials you'll want for your next getaway, like European linen, premium luggage options, buttery soft Italian leather bags, and so much more. And it's all priced at 50 to 80% less than similar brands. Plus, Quince only works with factories that use safe and ethical manufacturing practices. Pack your bags with high-quality essentials you'll be wearing for vacations to come with Quince. Go to quince.com trip for free shipping and 365-day returns.